edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, the uh, I would ask how you are, but the important question is, did, did you hit 90 this weekend? How's the weekend of golf? The weekend of golf was great. So uh, I, I definitely would have broken 90 on the last day. I probably would have shot about an 84 on one of the courses there. Really fun time. The irony is, uh, Friday night, we were uh, having a drink or two. Uh, and the uh, guy that fitted my clubs called me and says, hey, your clubs are ready in Houston. Um, so I had a brand new set of irons three hours away that I could not use uh, the next day. It's really sort of a, oh, what is it? Uh, water, water everywhere, nor drop the drink, if you will. Uh, I just could not take advantage of a great situation. But uh, it was a great vacation, Parker. I, I thank you for asking. That kind of sounds like rain on your wedding day. Um, I'm glad that you <laughs> it's a, enjoyed. It's a free ride uh, when you've already paid. Alanis Morris had the uh, the official sponsor of the Stats of War podcast. I, is Jagged Little Pill is an amazing from... album. It's an amazing <laughs> album, and I will of ride course. for it. Of course, I'm like a random joke about Alanis Morissette, and Grant's like, actually, that album changed my life. Uh, hand in my, I challenge you to listen to Hand in My Pocket and not have a good day. It's impossible. I'm, I'm okay with it. I, 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 you know, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that you got your clubs. Uh, ready so you can uh, you know start actually putting up some numbers and uh, mm-hmm. I, I everything I know is like in terms of weightlifting so I'm like so you can bump those stats up but I guess in golf mm-hmm. it's you can start shaving those points off or whatever you know right uh, I'm actually trying to take I'm trying to take plates off the squat rack um, and just really kind of get down to almost body weight you know yeah yeah just lean and and as and as and as few strokes as you need so um, exactly. yeah uh, how are you I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We are in the uh, great state of North Carolina. Got to drive through uh, Boone. Shout out to uh, App State and the Mountaineers. Um, so yeah, that, that that's been nice. Doing some, doing some hiking. Got out in the Appalachian Trail. Um, it has been really really nice weather. Uh, I got to tell you, being in the 60s in the morning and you know the 80s in the afternoon is is about what God intended. So it's God's we're, country. Uh, I also want to thank you for pronouncing Appalachian correctly. Unlike those heathens that say it Appalachian. Uh, I think I once got into a fight with my fourth grade English teacher over that. Um, so. Yeah, I don't, thing, I don't, the, I don't have any particular like Southern accent, but I do have a lot of Southern mannerisms in the way that I talk. And, and one of them is just, that just, that just feels natural to say Appalachia. It, that's what's called. Again, as God intended. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, um, I don't really know that there's been big news uh, this this week at all, uh, and that's been kind of nice. It's been kind of refreshing. I think we're in peak dead season, you know, something like 81 days until the season, probably more than that or fewer than that. But we're here, and we're going to still uh, kind of meander through the Big 12 this uh, this offseason and this summer leading up into TCU's 2021 campaign. So this week, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the Baylor Bears, and uh, – it's going to be weird. It's going to be a weird thing to talk about, mostly because there are just huge question marks in a, in a lot of positions mm-hmm. in, in a way that you can't really forecast. So, uh, again, this is not a power ranking. We do not think that the Big 12 standings at the end of 2021, per se, are going to end up, you know, Kansas, then Texas Tech, then Baylor, and moving forward. We're just, as we want to do them, least interesting to most interesting, maybe, could be a way that you talk yeah. about them, or just whatever teams we want to do. But we're, we're here, and we're, we're at Baylor this evening. Yeah, Baylor really is all question marks. I mean, you can point at Kansas and say, they're going to be bad. And then you can point at Texas Tech and say, boy, Matt Wells needs to 
put together a, a bowl season. But with Baylor, the expectations are kind of hard to define, I think. And uh, what they'll actually look like on the field, we know what they say they'll look like, but what it will actually turn out to be is, is, is really kind of up in the air. Which, and I, I might be sliding into a monologue here, and that's okay, is is a step up from, from Larry Fedora at Offensive Coordinator, for instance, where we're saying, hey, we're going to do some things. Look, we're just going to, we're going to make the ball go. We're going to run some offense. You know, we're going to get out there. We're going to hit some people and, and we're going to make the ball go, which is effectively Larry, Larry Fedora's philosophy. I mean, you know, get guys in space screens a lot like the kind of traditional air raid, spread the ball around kind of a deal, but they, they, they went two and seven last year and, and it just wasn't good. It, it, the offense was so bad for Baylor last year that at times um, there was barely a, a heartbeat on that side of the ball. And they had some games that were, that were close but they really couldn't do much uh, just because the offense really, really could not score. So before we dial in specifically to 2020, I, I do want to talk about this this three year cycle uh, where Matt Rule took the Bears from one and eleven to eleven and three uh, over the course of, uh, of three years. Matt Rule in 2017 came in and just said, "We are going to play the freshmen. We are going to play the guys that are here, and I'm going to ride them, and they are going to grow, and we're going to get a little better every year." And it's going to peak, and then I'm taking an NFL job, and I am out. That was the the writing was on the wall, day one, <laughs> and uh, that's great. Good for Matt Rule. Good guy. Uh, glad he doesn't have to live in Waco anymore. But that surely that it might be tempting to think of that as a pattern, because again, you look at the scoundrel and liar who was the coach prior to the Matt Rule era. Um, and how he came in and, and had two four and eight seasons, and then one seven, one ten, one eight, eleven, eleven, and ten, kind of peaked right there. Turns out he was cheating and doing all sorts of disgusting stuff to to make that success happen. And so when you look at Matt Rule, it's it's not so much this is what every coach who comes to Baylor should do, but it is a lot of this is what a coach at Baylor can do. They have the resources, they have the access to talent, and if someone comes in and they are smart and they are measured, and they are disciplined in building a program, the ceiling is very high in Waco. Dave Aranda is that guy who can be smart and measured, and on defense, he absolutely knows what he wants and is able to implement that vision. Last year, their defense was extremely feisty, and we'll talk about that. But on offense, he brought in a veteran. Last year, I think in our previews, we talked about how he just brought in football guys who were who – were, you know, smart minds to be in the room this year. He is going to try and enact a similar vision on offense, bringing in Jeff Grimes from BYU. BYU, of course, scored 17 billion points uh, approximately in 2020. And Baylor is looking to kind of accelerate that timeline from Matt rule to say, we can't afford two gross years. We've got to take a big step forward. We've got to be a good team right now because we have the defense and we have some offensive playmakers. Of course, Baylor is just a quarterback away from potentially being a very dangerous team in the Big 12. Grant, a team without a quarterback is like an unsharpened pencil. Okay. There's no point. Uh, ah, there we go. You can't you, – what, what are you doing, right? If you don't have a quarterback, you're never going to reach your potential. I don't care if you have, you know, 20, 21 guys around who, who, are, who are excellent. Baylor's pretty close to that 20, 21 guys around that quarterback being excellent. They have some holes. We'll talk about it. But they return a lot of experience on defense. They have a, a great defensive mind who knows how to make players better. They have some interesting skill talent on offense. But the question is, are they going to have to suck some more before they can get better? Uh, I wish I could articulate that question better than I had. But I, I really don't know any other question for Baylor 
in 2021 other than are they going to have to be bad again? Uh, it, it, and so that's really the big question here. And with the quarterback on top of this, I just, I just don't know that I can make decisive statements. So as we kind of wander through that this week, I will be very reluctant to say hard and fast things about the Baylor Bears in 2021 because there is just such uncertainty at, at a really, really key position. So big, deep breath there. <sighs> let's, let's, let's do a little bit of our first principles and then we can kind of start okay. breaking some of these things down. I like that. Um, I, I want to start real quick by saying that while Baylor was two and seven last year, um, I don't think they were that awful. Um, especially considering with what they had to work with. I mean, Brewer was a, a shell of himself. Um, he, he was hurt. We can say that unequivocally. His shoulder was not right. Hopefully it's yes. right now. But yeah, it yes. was not right. No, I, yeah, I obviously no ill will against Charles Brewer. He was not healthy. Um, but you start to win against, okay, you start to see him. You beat the hell out of Kansas. Congratulations, you should. You lose to West Virginia in double overtime. Texas by nine. TCU by ten. I know the game was a blowout at the start. Um, I get, they made it competitive late a little. Iowa State in Ames by only seven. Used to lose to Tech by one point. Beat Kansas State in one of the more inexplicable results of 2020. Only lose to Oklahoma by 13. And then you get your butt kicked by Oklahoma State 42-3 to end the year. But none of those results are shameful, really. Yeah, especially if you put the asterisk on the Oklahoma State one and say, like, all right, it's in the year, kind of banked up. Right, we just, we exactly. just put it down the river. It's fine. Um. Yeah, they, they, they weren't really out of mo- of most games. And, and you look at, you know, specifically, I think about the TCU game where they were down, what, 23 to nothing at one point, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, and came back. And uh, I guess they scored 23 points. So they were, they were down like 30 to six, I think, at the TCU game. Jalen Petrie went out like in the first quarter of that game, their yeah. best defender, and we'll talk about him. And so you could start to write off some of these things and say, man, despite some circumstances, they were they were certainly in some games. Um statistically, you know, not, not really again, because there weren't so many close games, you'd expect them to get one or two more wins. And so I have them at uh 3.2 uh, or 3.3 expected wins, which is, you know, a win and a third more than they, than they had, which, which makes about sense. Dave Aranda is entering his second year. Um, you know, he has uh, about as long a track record as, as anywhere else. Last season, I was pretty down on the bears. Understandably, they had a new head coach. He was defensive minded, um, they won a bunch of close games the the year before they had some turnover issues and i just didn't think they were going to be that good i didn't think they were going to be that bad on offense as bad as they Mm -hmm. were but but they were pretty they were pretty bad so they 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 fired larry fedora and brought in jeff grimes ron roberts returns as the defensive coordinator and so the key things here that we're going to look at um grimes is going to shift from an inside zone to a wide zone he's talked about that uh a lot he talked about a, a a reliably violent offense, which is just some A-plus coach speak. Grant, can I read you this Jeff Grimes quote that is effectively saying nothing? Please. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Grimes from BYU is asked about why he likes the wide zone, and he said, The wide zone is a play that is versatile with different formations and personnel groups and is something that is very consistent and allows you to stay on schedule and doesn't allow for a lot of negative yardage plays and keeps you on schedule as an offense and a play caller. I'm a football coach, and the name of that football coach is me, Jeff Grimes. <laughs> uh, very purred happily moment there from Jeff Grimes. I mean, again, you know, it's coach speak. I'm not exactly making fun of him. Just I thought that was very, very funny in that article about the re- reliable, violent offense. 
Can I give you one more quote from our uh, oh. our friend our friend Shehan Jayaraja uh, wrote a great piece over at Texas friend, Football. Um, friend is a really big word. I you know I was invited to Shehan's <laughs> wedding and didn't go, and he still makes fun of me for it. Um, <laughs> I had a, that like is, a family. That vacation. is my favorite thing in the entire world. I'm going to text him later to make fun of him about that. That's great. I, I had a family vacation, man. Uh, but but he wrote a great piece, bro. Uh, I heard your uh, wedding was so lame. Grant even wouldn't come to. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was about the, uh, <laughs> it was about the wide zone and, and what, what Aranda sees out of it. Um, so this is a quote from Grimes. We're an attacking multiple formation offense that runs a few plays, a lot of ways with as much misdirection as anyone in the country. I can write that down for you. All our offensive players know that and they can recite it. Okay. Well, I know my ABCs. I can write them down. I don't necessarily know that that makes them a comprehensive offensive scheme, but Sure. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that that seems like a like my players know the plays. Good. They, right. I, they, they should. should. I hope they Indeed. Do. Um, I I will say, despite that kind of making fun of it, I I do like Grimes. I do have this. I think I've said this before. I'm sure I've said this on other podcasts. I won't get into this too deep, but I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory about the BYU offense from some, uh, you know, some sources close to the program that Grimes was not really responsible for the offense the last couple of years. And in fact, the Boise game in 2019 was kind of the tipping point where, you know, they just, they just upgraded um, Kalani Sataki's son. I think his name is Femi. Gosh, I'm uh, it's, it, it, maybe it's Femi. I don't know. I, I messed that up, but they updated him to pass coordinator hmm. and they updated the, the, the passing game coordinator to uh, offensive coordinator and 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 when those two kind of started taking over the offense even before their promotions i mean i guess they just got promoted this year but when they effectively started taking over the offense is kind of when the zach wilson thing happened so grimes you you know hey we need some consistency we need some better offensive line play we need a new scheme and you have the wide zone playbook but i'm not i'm not sure that he's kind of the savant that baylor fans want him to be especially coming in um again 2020 is extremely colored by uh, you know, BYU just playing an abysmal schedule. Um, sure. And so I, th- I think Grimes' reputation is a little bit overstated given those two um, those two circumstances. But I, I, I do think the wide zone is really interesting. Um, so, so that's going to look like a play-action rate uh, of almost 40%. They're going to really work off that play-action wide zone. And they're, they're going to, you know, throw 11% screens because, again, they're going to make you pay. So... Um, I guess we should talk about the wide zone because it's not really no no one in the no one in the Big Twelve really does that right now. Right, and and, and before you get into that, I do want to also point out one um, great point that Shahan made, which is that look, even if the wide zone doesn't work, at least Baylor like has a definitive goal on offense. Um, you know, Shahan points this out, but you know, you separated the pass game and the run game responsibilities between uh, uh, Larry Fedora and Jorge Munoz last year, and it was like one hand didn't know what the other hand was doing. Um, just at least having a mentality and like, hey, we're going to run wide zone. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but that's full steam ahead is a step forward for Baylor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's exactly what we talked about with TCU last year was, hey, yeah. quit half-assing two things and whole ass yeah, one thing. And, and one Baylor's going to whole yeah. ass the wide zone. So the, the, the wide zone... Um, is interesting to me uh, because m- most teams that, you know, TCU fans were, were familiar with the air raid and we're familiar with this kind of inside zone run. And so what inside zone is, is you're going to attack the a gap, right? That's basically the left guards, right, butt cheek to the right guards, left butt cheek. If that gives mm-hmm. you a, a good visual there, you got about 
uh, four cheeks right there between the two guards in the center between which to run and kind of find where you want to go. You're looking at you know, my math uh, there. That's two center cheeks and a guard cheek each. You know uh, that old MIT legend where they laid that guy down, Fritz, uh, not Fred Smoot, that was a wide receiver, uh, but they laid that guy down and measured the bridge across the, the river in Cambridge in, in units of that guy, and now it's like measured off there officially. That is that, but with butt cheeks is how you're measuring yeah. an offensive line. Yeah. I was just trying to, I mean, just felt like I could, I, you know, see how many times could I say the word cheek before you said something about it there? So, um, but <laughs> before so we had, but, inside zone. <laughs> it's before we had to put the explicit rating on our uh, podcast and Apple. No, I, look, look, man, my FBI agent and I have talked. We're cool. It's all right. Um, yeah. So, so what inside zone does is basically your linemen kind of have two, two goals, right? They want to move a guy vertically. And if they can't get a vertical push, they want to get kind of a horse. Uh, they, they, they want to get a displacement. They just want that guy to not be where he wants to go. Effectively, they're disrupting run fits, right? Because on defense, you know, guys have gap responsibilities. And so in a gap scheme like power, something Lincoln Riley runs a lot, we're going through the B gap. We're going to push mm-hmm. one guy one way. We're going to push a guy the other way. We're going to fill it with a big man. And then we're going to follow that big man, right? Zone is a little more agnostic. It kind of came out of this, hey, we're faster, but maybe not as strong. We can't win a push at the line. And so linemen don't have assignments. They read play side numbers. And so zone step for the inside zone, everybody's kind of taking the short inside step and they are um, kind of looking to move up levels. Hey, if I can, if I can move this guy in the front level, that's great. If I can't, I'll move the second level. The running back then takes it and he finds a hole, right? He gets to choose, Hey, what are people doing? And so the three B's of the inside zone are going to be your uh, bash. Butt cheek. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, that's maybe there's four B's there. Um, is going to be your 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 bash where you. Um, oh, let me, let me rephrase that. Where, bang, bash is a, a different. That, that's confusing. It's a different thing. Uh, bang, where you just straight up play side a gap, right? You just run straight. You can bend if you go and you see that that's closed and they're displacing them play side. You can bend back away from the play and bust the run that way, or third you can bounce it outside and so the running back just kind of gets to read and choose what he's going to do based on where the players are really good for a guy like like Darius Anderson who has ankles made of steel and can do all these kind of cuts we've seen that with TCU a lot the difference between the inside so inside zone kind of displacing horizontally and letting the running back attack uh or displacing vertically and letting the running back attack horizontally the, the, the flip side of that is going to be the, the, the wide zone is going to involve, instead of trying to push people out, we're trying to seal people off. And so each lineman is going to kind of take a, a wider step. They're going to try and get on that play side forearm and push a guy, seal him inside. And if they can't seal him inside, they're going to try and move him horizontally as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is kind of stretches everybody out. You see wide zone called stretch a lot, like I think in Madden and stuff. And so you want to stretch them horizontally and then the running back just takes what's there, right? He's not really making yeah, a decision. Gap, he's really. he's yeah. going out and he's saying, hey, where, where's, the, where's their daylight and running? The reason I think it's so important to talk about the nuance and the difference in that and why they're switching is, is Tristan Ebner, the running back. I know we should talk mm-hmm. about the quarterback first, but that's a whole weird thing. But Tristan Ebner, the running back, uh, 22% target share, uh, 2.4 yards after catch, 11.8 or yards after contact, 11.8 big run percent. Um, and so he was really kind of busting out these these big runs uh, at, at, a, at an okay rate, but he has that potential. Um, mm-hmm. What I really think is interesting about Ebner in the wide zone is Ebner had, oh gosh, I'm pulling up the stat. I'm talking as I'm doing it. 
uh, you know, he had longs of like 58. He averaged 11.5 yards per reception on an average depth of target of 2.5. Baylor wow. couldn't get the push in the middle on the inside zone. And they were just tossing the ball to Ebner in space. And then Ebner was freaking going. Mm-hmm. And so the wide zone is going to be a lot more akin to let's get you in space quicker, which is going to be really, really scary if, if you have someone who can actually commit to that play action pass and commit to that kind of overtop thread. But so that fundamental shift is going to take Baylor's offense away from, Hey, we we're you know, we're a walking wounded unit. We're trying to pitch the ball to Tristan Ebner and let him go. And it's going to shift it more towards, Hey, we're strategically getting you uncomfortable horizontally so we can take advantage of you vertically. If that makes sense. It does. Can I, and I, and I don't want to jump ahead off of Ebner, but um, it's fine. Can I ask you about, so some of the quotes that uh, Grimes and Aranda uh, gave kind of indicated that they were going to capitalize on maybe a, a smaller but speedier offensive line as well. Um, that's not the case. Baylor has some some hogs up front. Um, everyone's pretty much going to be over 300 pounds. Connor Galvin, one of the best returning linemen in the, con- in the conference, in my opinion, is 6'7", 310, will play left tackle. Um, that seems like an interesting, person, uh, interesting choice based on the personnel. Yeah, and so some of that is, you know, what do you what do you have versus what do you want for sure. sure. But I, I I do think the offensive line will be a, a, at least a slight positive, if not an overwhelming positive See, for Baylor this too. year. Yeah, um, I like Galvin. Um, I think Micah Mazkua is a, is you know no no experience kind of coming in, but is is a guy who who will be a, a solid Big Twelve lineman for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and then you know you get that transfer Jacob Gall from Baylor and or from, Buffalo. Me, from Buffalo. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and him paired with Grant Miller, the Arizona transfer on that front side, I guess I'm saying front side is right side in my head, the play is going right. But, um, I think those two are, are really, really good pickups, really sneaky mm-hmm. pickups. And that interior offensive line is going to be really good, which especially in the wide zone and especially moving away from drop back passing more towards play action passing, you're going to need guys who can kind of move, who can get, um, you know, I think these will kind of be little little bowling ball guys, which which I okay. like. Like, uh, I, like oh, I'm a fan oh, of the the offensive lineman who's kind of rumbling and stumbling, and, right. and wide zone's going to make these guys move. So kind of like an oversized Coastal Carolina, a little bit. Bowling uh, balls, Lord, I but, hope not. But in in the best iteration, right. yes, that's what yeah, they were like. Uh, like like oversized gremlins that uh, are yeah. going to attack you. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I- imagine the damage, Parker, that Charlie Brewer could have done behind an offensive line that is. This good. I mean, I'm not saying they're an elite unit. I think they'll be good. But imagine what he could have done if he would have had just a competent offensive line for two or three years instead of being forced to run for his life. Um, yeah. I, he's I mean, got to be looking back at uh, this and thinking, man, what could have been? Even even when they were good in 2019, I guess it was. I mean, yeah. he was still getting hit a ton. Yep. Uh, the, the only question mark there is Casey Phillips, a right tackle. I don't, I don't know that he's good. Um <sighs> I hate to say that about a college player, but I mean, who am I? You know, I'm a chubby dude right. drinking a beer no, on a Wednesday you. having a podcast, but I, I don't know that he's, I, that, that might be a question. Again, the drop back passing isn't going to be too big of an issue because they're going to, they're going to kind of move and, and get a little faster. So um, yeah, I, I think the offensive line will go from uh, a liability to at least a, a neutral, if not a, a slightly positive this year. And um, again, if you're trying to build up a program, you have a young quarterback, you, you need, you need him to be protected. You need him to have a scheme he can work on. So Let's do it, I guess. Let's talk about Baylor's quarterback situation. Yeah, okay, because you say you have a young quarterback, and you will, no matter who it is, but we don't know who it's going to be. So Jerry Bohannon will be a junior this year. I think we do, but we don't. 
Do you? Do you? Yeah, you let's, think talk about, be, let's talk you about think it's going to be Zeno. Okay, okay. I, I, right. I would almost bet money it's going to be Zeno. Really? Because I think Bohannon's skill set fits that offense a lot better. If they're running wide zone, especially. But okay. Um, I might agree with that. Yeah, yeah anyway. Bohannon looked good in 2019 as a backup. Um, in 2020, you know, he, I mean, he saw time in two games. He didn't really play that much. And actually, they kind of turned to Zeno a little bit more. Than they, well, no. They, I mean, they used Bohannon as the primary backup. But I don't know, man. I, I, think he's, I think he's probably the better player. Yeah, I mean, he competed. He completed forty-seven point two percent of his pat. Like, again, some of that was just getting thrown into like the Sugar Bowl and stuff that he didn't really need to. You know, you can't base his career on that. So, um, I, I think the the problem with an offense that has two quarterbacks is that you have no quarterbacks. We have two quarterbacks. Yeah. Like, they need somebody yeah. to step up. I was reading an article where Grimes was talking specifically about the quarterback battle, and he was saying that, you know, it, we. Like he almost he almost explicitly said it would be nice if someone had separated and then we could say this is our guy and that hadn't happened. Yeah. I, I think Zeno is the starter unless something changes. Um, I don't think that's super encouraging. We don't know much about uh, Jacob Zeno. He he you know one year on the team and that was the the COVID year and kind of short and all that. In high school, he only completed fifty three percent of his passes for whatever that's worth. Well, I'll I'll push back on that a bit because uh, if you remember the Big Twelve title game. He had that bomb against Oklahoma in 2019 when he came in. Uh, when Brewer was hurt. Yes. You and know who else like, could throw bombs? the hell is Jacob Zeno? Casey who, who Ball else could, throw, could bombs? throw bombs. You know, uh, Casey Ball could throw bombs. And you know what? Casey Ball Hall would have been a good quarterback had the timeline um, not been the way it was. Hey, you know what? Casey Ball Hall's doing great right now. Um, yes, he is. So I'm happy for him. I think Zeno has the over-the-top over potential i won't say ability ability is a big word there but i i think zeno is a guy who could very competently do you know again they're not going to ask him to run a ton uh the wide zone is going to be a little bit a little bit more pro a little bit more hey we're going to make you you know make a read and then throw throw a pass or we're going to you know have you do play action and then make two reads over the middle of the field and so there's going to be some growing pains there especially with someone who just doesn't have that much experience at the college level playing a little bit different offense um but they've had a full off season and, and they really do have some a- athletes around him. Again, last year we saw so many times Tristan Ebner, just go look up Tristan Ebner hi- highlights from last year. I mean, his entire career is just him getting the ball in the middle of the field and then running forever. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's really interesting and that he'll have a lot of slack there. Um, especially when you look at, I mean, so, so, so Ebner's coming back, but if you look at kind of the receiving game on offense there, they, I actually had to put four on this on this little preview graphic. I had to put four people uh, as receivers because I just thought it was so important. Um, yeah. So, so Grant, who's going to be kind of there when we're talking about Baylor in twenty twenty one? Who are we looking at to get the ball in the receiving game? Well, that's the thing, Parker. I mean, you could have put another guy on there that's not even on there. Um, they have so many guys that are available out there at wideout, but um, R.J. Sneed is kind of. I, I would say your primary guy. I mean, his target share was 21.43% last year, and that's, you know, 12.6 yards per, per catch at an average depth of target of 13.3 yards. So if your target share is 21% and you're getting the ball more than a first down down the field, that's normally a pretty good sign. Um, Steed's great. Taquan Thornton, also a threat. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy that I was going to point out that we left off. Uh, Josh Fleek's going to be a senior this year. He was really great in the slot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him 
kind of take a step up as well. But Baylor's got a lot of guys that wide out. It starts with Snead for sure, but, I mean, anyone who throws the ball for Baylor is going to have a lot of options. Yeah, and, and, and I think one guy to really point out there is, uh, is, is Ben Sims, the tight end. We remember he got a touchdown against TC last year. Um, I don't know that he's a special talent. That, that sounds so mean. Good Lord. I don't mean to be that mean about a college kid. Um, I'm going to rephrase that. You know, I think he's a fine tight end. I don't know that he's kind of this dynamic, game-changing player. But what's interesting about uh, Ben Sims in, in the Baylor offense, in the Jeff Grimes offense, is that in 2020, uh, Isaac Rex was BYU's fourth leading target. Um, and, and, you know, he had he had 12 touchdowns, uh, which led the team, 12 receiving touchdowns, which led the team last year for BYU. Uh, uh, Isaac Rex is, uh, of course, BYU's right. tight end. And so especially with that wide zone, I think there'll be a lot of play there to say, hey, we're blocking a certain way, and then our tight end's going to find himself downfield, especially in the middle, uh, you know, kind of in the red zone. I think they'll lean on Ben Sims a lot. So I would expect his production to go way up just because it's going to be less of, you know, we're, we're trying to block and save our quarterback's life and just get the ball to Ebner and hope he runs and more so, Hey, we're building on these concepts. And one of these concepts is going to be, we can get this guy open in the middle. So I, I, I would, I would have him circled as maybe not a dynamic playmaker, but a, a, a volume contributor to this offense who is going to be able to kind of, especially in the red zone, step up and, and, and bear the brunt of kind of the role in, in Jeff Grimes offense. For sure, and I think one of the things Grimes wants to do, Grimes wants to do, and has said as much, is get a lot of different personnel formations out there on the field. So I don't think he's going to shy away from using tight ends, multiple tight ends, multiple wide receivers, you know, weirdly aligned uh, formations. And that, to me, always anecdotally allows tight ends some options to kind of capitalize on any defensive confusion if they just leak out right over the middle of the field and, hey, I'm wide open because they're trying to figure out how to cover the wide receivers. It would be awesome if Jeff Grimes just came in and he's like, yep, we're running 12 personnel 100% of the time. Two guys, <laughs> hands in the dirt on either side of the end. <laughs> under Deal center. <laughs> Jacob Zeno, under center, 100% of the time. Uh, that would be great. <laughs> Jacob Zeno is Roger Staubach. We're going to see <laughs> yeah. how this works. The premise of the modern Big 12 is that a quarterback must be accurate and mobile to succeed. The premise of my offense is, what if they didn't? <laughs> Everyone knows Custer died. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> There's your Royal Tenenbaums joke for the day. Um, that movie's so good. Yeah, so so the, the offense is really interesting. I think it's very important that we just need to talk about there exists a man that they call Squirrel. Uh, it's going to be a part of this offense. Yes. Craig Craig Williams, old Squirrel Williams, as his uh, as his friends know him. Uh, and, and that to me is just one of the best things about college football is that announcers are going to, honest to God, call him Squirrel. And I love that. Um, yeah, it's a real treat. And there's going to be no end to, uh, you know, if he scores touchdowns, there's going to be no end to unintentional, unfortunate puns regarding uh, him and, and nuts, which is just, again, yeah. college football gold. You know, thank God uh, Britt Musburger is not calling uh, Baylor this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I, I said we were going to do first principles, and I totally didn't. So let's let's just rip off some some numbers here about this this offense. EPA margin, uh, it was 96th on offense. They were 118th in the country, averaging just positive 0.021. In the rush game, they were 109th overall at a negative 0.87 EPA. That is real bad. 
Um, in the past game, they were they were positive point one zero five, which is still one hundred and twenty third. Just no no real consistency. So they had some explosiveness on the past game. For instance, their their passing success rate was was thirty two point nine, which is one hundred thirteenth in the nation. But you know the the. the all of their value in the past is really generated from kind of these explosive plays a lot by yeah. these guys, you know, Ebner and Sneed and, and, and uh, Tyquan Thornton kind of getting out there um, and, and making big plays uh, on uh, their, their rushing success rate was only 21.46, which, you know, that's, that's, that's basically one in five runs were successful. And so all of their rushing value was, uh, Lovett and Ebner breaking big runs. Uh, mm-hmm. TCU fans will remember that. Lovett is gone, of course, but but th- there there is a reason that Baylor said we have to clean house top to bottom on offense. We can't even give it another year. It was that bad. It was it was floundering. Just super low success rates. Thirty two point eight overall, which was uh, one hundred seventeenth in the nation. So a really bad offensive unit. But again, you clean house. You bring in someone who can articulate and implement. A clear vision, which let me tell you, is not common in college football. No. And and you start to think, okay, we're going to have an Aranda defense. The offense is the offense. You know, if we can get a heartbeat, we can we can win more than two games for sure. Yeah, with an Aranda defense, which is legitimately good, you, you don't necessarily need to have you know BYU's offense from last year or Oklahoma's offense to win eight games, nine games, and you know for Baylor, I think probably more next year, that's a realistic goal, and it's certainly something they can achieve. You can probably win six games with a good Aranda defense and, like you said, an offense that has a heartbeat. Just to flip those games that were one score last year and turn three of them into wins, well, okay, that's a bowl last year. Um, just just some semblance of an idea on offense would have really helped Baylor, and I think they'll have that this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and so it'll be interesting to see what they can do with that. Again, just huge confidence intervals there in terms of there's a lot of, you know, huge range of outcomes that could happen. But it'll be interesting to see. And again, it'll be refreshing to have something new in the Big 12 on offense to watch mm-hmm. um, at the at the very least. Um, OK, let's let's look over to the defense. If you don't have anything else about the offense. No, I'm good. It's, and it starts and ends with Jalen Petrie. I should point it out. does. I, that's almost the whole conversation. So I'll read some. I'll read some notes, and then we can kind of talk about. It. I, I think maybe there's one other guy that's important, but we'll, we'll talk about that too. So um, on, on defense, you know, 11th overall in EPA uh, per play, they were 45th against the rush, but they were fourth against the pass. Um, just a, a, an absolute lockdown pass defense, and uh, I think that that's kind of their their strength. So I, you know. Aranda plays a, a three four, but there's a huge asterisk on the four in the Aranda defense because it's effectively a three three with a superhuman player. Like mm-hmm. you just have to have a freak at the fourth linebacker position to do it do what they want. And Baylor has that freak in in, in Jalen Petrie. Um, I, I believe that Aranda calls that a jack. Mm-hmm. That's the position. Um, and so Petrie, forty nine tackles, four pass breakups. A, 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 a 24% pressure rate. That means almost one in four times that he rushes the quarterback, he's getting there. Um, just just a, a player that is involved in all facets of the game, pass coverage, run, um, you know, run defense, and, and, and the pass rush. Uh, a really impressive player. Yeah, he is, he is absolutely dominant when he's on out there on the field. It's, it's almost to the point where he's a stud, and then Baylor kind of has one stud at each other position. Um, which is interesting. I don't necessarily know that they have a whole cohesive unit 
But you don't need to when you have a guy like Petrie helming the defense and then kind of surrounding him with other guys that can make plays. Um, Petrie yeah. certainly is the big name, but uh, we'll get to the other guys. But it's just it's it's a really interesting group of players that they have on the defensive end. A lot of stars and a lot of guys that hey, they just gotta kind of hope they they flesh out, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I'll have to ask a friend of the podcast, uh, Anthony Trish, about this. But I, I wonder if if given a given a given a minimum, you know, of, of everyone who had forty pass rushes last year. I bet Jalen Petrie is the only player who has a an uh, eighty or above grade in pass rush and in coverage. Yeah, that uh, is like an the only player who, who. That's an astonishing like. Uh, yeah. Skill set to be able to rush the quarterback that well and also, uh, you know, just kind of drop back into coverage. That's that's not, there are a handful of people in college football that can do that. Yeah, and, and again, you know, whatever for whatever PFF grades are, are worth, that's still an interesting stat that he's, you know, given what he was presented with, he still performed performed that well. So he he's not the only de- he's not the only guy on this defense, and I, I I'm actually gonna um, defend this defense a little bit because Aranda is one of the best defensive minds in football right now. Aranda, as soon as he took the head coaching job, became uh, coach one B uh, of great defensive minds in the Big Twelve. He he and Patterson. I mean this with with all the utmost respect uh, for Coach P. They they have similar defensive minds. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's you know differences. You're talking about coaching, about programs, and everything. I'm not worried about that. I'm saying in terms of knowing about defense and being able to coach defense, he is up there. He's every bit that quality, and that that is a huge compliment, especially for a Baylor head coach from from me. So um, you, you just can't deny that they have 10 of 11 starters returning. Granted. Not all of those starters are, are kind of elite, but I, I, I do think that, especially in the past events, they're going to be real hard to move the ball against this year. Uh, Raleigh Tejada mm-hmm. is back. Uh, I'm, I'm so bad about this. I go back. It, do we call it, is it Tejada or Texada? It's Tejada. He, he's Ranthony's little brother, and I can't, yes. I, I, every time I say it out loud, I'm like, I sound, I don't want to, I never want to overcommit to the Tejada and it be Texada. Yeah. It's, it's Tejada. I'm a moron. Parker, um, hey, he, hey, he had 29 uh, hey, tackles hey. and three pass breakups last year. And, and more importantly, he was targeted, uh, what, 29 times and Something allowed, like you know, 13.8 yards per reception, but only 65.5 percent uh, completion percentage against him. So a, a really disruptive guy who, who really was able to kind of avoid targets generally, which means he's covering his guy well. Right. Like if you have a lot of targets, it kind of means they're picking on you. And, and so that in itself can be a stat that's kind of indicative of quality, of course, with, with some qualifiers. So I think he is, you know, we talked about last week, Texas Tech doesn't really have that standout. Who's going to be the cornerback? Tejada is going to be that guy. He's going to be one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the Big 12. I, I think that he'll be a really interesting pass defender uh, to see where he kind of fits on the national scale, especially after full offseason with Aranda to work and everything. But, but between someone so disruptive like Petrie and then a guy like Tejada on the corner, yeah, their pass defense is going to be frightening. Um, you're right, Tejada is a stud. I always love Anthony, and, and Raleigh may legitimately be a better defender. Um, he's been a starter for them for what seems like forever. I legitimately thought he had graduated, but the fact that he's back kind of lends a lot of um, credence to that, that pass defense. They also have another good linebacker, I think, um, Dylan Doyle, who put up similar stats to Petrie just without the pass coverage. But, uh, he, you know, he had 10... Uh, Total pressures, two sacks. Uh, he finished with 52 tackles, which actually led the team. Uh, and he's back this year. So that's you know another guy kind of over the middle of the field in the 3-4 defense where if Petrie's running around being the quote-unquote jack, 
you know that you have Doyle as kind of a solid, okay, hey, if they don't go to Petrie, Doyle will be there to you know make a play uh, kind of at that second level. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, again, you know, you, you look at, they've got some pieces and then a guy like Siaki Ika who's coming in a, a four-star transfer grade from, from LSU. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of win some lose some cause you know, James Sylvester is, is gone and there's a lot of potential there that could have been uh, manifest I'll say, but generally a lot of cohesion on the offensive line or the, the, excuse me, not the offensive line, the defense, a lot of cohesion on the defense there. And with Aranda, you just kind of, it's, it, it's like Patterson. You just take that for a given, right? They're going to have a good defense this year. Um, I, I do feel like I've overstated kind of the, the, the devastation of losing like Brewer and John Lovett for Baylor on offense. And just, I don't want to be too rosy about the defense without saying like, by no means is the offense going to be good enough to make this defense worth anything. Right. Right. Yeah, um, there, no, there's absolutely true. a world where nothing changes offensively. There's a world where they get worse offensively. Although I don't think it's likely. It, you can't but, be much worse, but yeah. Right. Um, so, so I think it's just important to look at and say, Hey, they have a lot of obstacles to cover, uh, overcome on offense. That's a lot easier when you one, have a full off season with your, you know, first full off season with your new coach. And two, you have a defense that is going to be able to disrupt and make anyone uncomfortable. No, I think you're absolutely right, um, which is going to be kind of a shame, I think, um, watching this defense potentially go to waste. I also think it might be one of those seasons where Baylor pulls out a really weird win. That happened last year against Kansas State, right, 32-31. But if a good defense can keep you in the game, and maybe that offense, I don't know, someone doesn't know how to defend a wide zone or something, I could see Baylor going 3-10 and 10 or 4-9, four and, uh, four and, and yet one of those four wins is against... Texas or something. I think it's a distinct possibility. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm, so I'm not did, saying I'm going to predict that in two minutes, but it's a possibility. I did have that circled because they do have a buy before Texas. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not saying I'm predicting. I'm saying I think it's a distinct possibility. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Kansas. We like talked ourselves into like, hey, here's here's how Kansas beats Texas Tech, right? Like, we can, yeah, I can totally see how Baylor beats Texas this year. Um, one, they always play that game close, right? That's kind of similar yeah. to TCU in Texas, although, you know, TCU beats them. Um, okay, <laughs> let's let's go through any anything else on the offense or defense. Do they have a punter that has a weird tattoo or anything we need to know about? Uh, they have a punter that spells his name weird. Okay, uh, his I, name is I'll, I, I'll, his name is Isaac Power. Uh, but it's it's two S's and one A, I S S A C. That's Isaac. That's not Isaac. Uh, I mean, exactly. I'm sure it's Isaac, but that's not that's not how this works. Yes, and that is my report on the Baylor special teams. Power Power is a great last name for a kicker. I hope he has a tattoo on his upper back that says Power in like that you know typical kind of Roman. Yeah, kind of almost kind of like a Celtic font. Sort of, yeah. yeah, Celtic. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There's a uh, there's an Irish golfer named Seamus Power. And I always thought he should have been a strong man um, because that's an yeah. incredible name. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a, um, he's a guy. Oh, oh, there's a um, – I'm just going down the list of people whose names I know. But there's a Indy car driver named uh, Will Power. That's a good one. It's a good His one. parents laughed. His yes. Parents oh, laughed. They, they, they were doing a bit, and it's lasted for 35 years or however old Will Power is. That's hilarious. Yeah, so, so that's good. All right, I'll, I'll allow that. That's fun. Um, uh, okay. okay. Do, do you want to do scheduling? Because this gets to the point where we have right, we have like hammered Baylor for their terrible non-conference scheduling. 
And they try to fix that by scheduling BYU after they pilfered their offensive coordinator. And after BYU lost like their best quarterback in history yeah, and a bunch exactly. of offensive linemen and things are going to be really bad. Yeah. So right. also I did. Okay. Point of order. Someone did tweet at me the other day that they, the apocalypse must be here because Baylor scheduled a power five opponent in the non-con. It is, is it very Vanderbilt? important to me that every listener to this podcast knows that BYU is not a power five team. No, no. BYU can sit and scream. They can stand at the top of the mountains. There are mountains there. Advantage over Fort Worth. I'll give them that. And they can yell that they are a Power 5 team. They are not a Power 5 team. If they go undefeated and beat everyone by 100, they are going to get the G5 New Year's 6 slot. They are not going to get a power uh, a, a playoff spot just like Notre Dame. That is yeah. that is just very important to know. So Baylor did not schedule a Power 5 team in the non They scheduled a team. Yeah. Decent G5 team. This is not 1985 anymore. Lavelle Edwards is not at BYU. Hey, shout out to shout out to Lavelle, man, friend oh, of friend out. of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, not a Power Five team. Uh, okay, let's go down to schedule. I've got to pull it up here. They start with, I mean, just an absolute, uh, you know, bruising two games. Uh, home for Texas State. Home for Texas Southern. Okay, I asked this. I asked this question to a couple of Baylor people. Uh, the the three of them that I like and and here's the real question: Is Texas State a losable game for Baylor in 2021? Yes, yes, it is. I'm, I'm not close. saying they will. Right, I'm of course. Losable. I'm I'm very close to, but I, I think I am saying there's a world where they lose this, and I am not shocked. No, um, like weird. I'm talking like 16, 15, something weird. Yeah. I, I don't know uh, what the spread is, but I'm taking Texas State. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to see. But so, so I, I think that's worrisome that it's losable. But I, I don't think they'll lose this game. No. Um, but it will be annoying. I, I think if it, if it was like switched and Texas Southern was first and then Texas State, I don't think they'd have any problems. But opening with Texas State, that could be interesting. Um, they then, especially just because because you're you're bringing in a new quarterback yeah, and new Texas system. State is like, hey, we've all played football for a very long time. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. Literally, because they're all transfers. There, there are no freshmen. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, then you go at Kansas. Okay, that's uh, that. That well, Texas. Yeah, so Texas Southern two wins. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then at Kansas, I think we said Kansas can win that game on the Kansas pod. I think what we were saying was it, it, it should be close if Kansas is doing well. Something, but I'll still take Baylor. Um, yeah, absolutely. Home for Iowa State. That's a loss, dude. This is a rough freaking three weeks. Yeah, man, man it is. It is. Because you, you start the game, you know, with cupcakes. Then you're home for Iowa State, at Oklahoma State, home for West Virginia. Can I tell you something? The, you're, yeah, please. I think they're going to upset West Virginia. I don't know what to think about West Virginia. I don't either. And I think that's one of those games where West Virginia might be 4-1, and 5-1, and one, whatever. And that's the weird game that I mentioned earlier. I think that's the one Baylor wins. Baylor and West Virginia have played some weird games, dude. 2020, it was 21-27 West Virginia. 2019 is one of the worst football games I have watched snap to snap. Uh, it was 17-14. Baylor won that one. And then I think 2018 was also very weird. Yeah, it's weird things happen because they might be. Oh my gosh! No, that was that was that was the the wild wild Bill Willie Greer 58-14. Uh, oh. So yes. yeah. All sorts yeah. of crazy things happen, can happen. The range of out possible outcomes. Um, I will just say that's really hard. You get three pretty pretty good defensive schools back-to-back yeah. back with 
you know, Iowa State, who's who's the most experienced team in the conference, who has, you know, a bunch of 48-year-olds. Um, and then Oklahoma State, who who probably feels a little bit of chip on his shoulder for what mm-hmm. should have been a better 2020. Um, and then West Virginia, who's going to play you tough on defense that, you know, a ton yeah. of young guys on defense and they all return. That That's a rough three-game stretch. If you win two of those, man, you Aranda is doing great. If you win, if you win one of those, you're doing fine. Two, yeah, but extend his contract. Uh, real quick, is there are there two more diametrically opposed schools in the Big 12 than Baylor and West Virginia in terms of fans and ethos? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about distance, and I was like, no. I think Texas Tech wins. No, no, I don't know. Because it's close, man. Well, yeah, if, if your two diodes are, like, extremely likable and extremely unpleasant, then yes, that <laughs> yes, you're right. Yes, but also, like, you know, Hilljack Moonshiners. Again, that's the one I support in West Virginia. My people, and then yeah. Stereotypical Baptist University in Waco. It's kind of it's it's it's, it's a clash of a clash of cultures. Depending on your views about the cultural and political diffusion of Austin into the University of Texas, there's probably a strong argument that Ames and Austin are, are almost Ooh, that diametrically yeah. opposed. Yeah, you're right. That's up there too. Um, anyway, just a thought experiment. They do move into uh, what should be friendlier confines uh, against BYU, talking about strict religious schools, for a home game on October 16th. I don't know what to make of BYU this year. I have not looked at them much. They don't have Zach Wilson anymore. I, uh, they're going to be win bad. That game. Yeah, they're going to be bad. Baylor can win that game. Also, it's really disappointing because they have a Romney at quarterback who probably yes. lost the job in spring, and they Is have a Romney at receiver who's actually pretty good. Is that Gunner Romney? And we, One of them's Gunner, right? Yeah. One of them is Gunner. I'm not going to remember which one. Okay. We are going to be deprived of the Romney to Romney connection. The uh, the old Romney squared touchdown. That's that's not going to be on the uh, docket this fall for for Baylor or for BYU, which is disappointing. They have binders um, full of touchdowns. If uh, which is a real great political joke in 2012. Um, after that is a bye week. I just I just want to say the Purple Theory podcast is politically neutral, and we endorse correct. And and I I have a lot of okay yes. Um, <laughs> No, that, Grant has binders full of respect for people who for, are different political. <laughs> uh, I do. I think he's a good guy. Um, okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> By week on October 23rd, you return to <laughs> you return to host Texas. Weird things can That's happen. It. Weird things can happen. Um, I bet I'm betting you Dave Aranda looks looks at a picture of, of Daryl K. Royal Stadium. Every night before he goes to sleep, like he that is that is this he has got that circled. That yes. is the game for Baylor this year. Also, he might have that circle in terms of uh, in three years if Sark doesn't work out, he might take that job. Um, Ooh, I'm into it. I'm into theories. I like I, it. I, I think it's I think it'd be a good one for both schools or for both him and Texas. Uh, then you're at TCU on October six or excuse me November sixth. That should be a game TCU wins. Home for Oklahoma? Nope. At Kansas State. They won that game last year. Kansas State will be a little bit better this year, and yeah, but it's... Will Howard, yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Th- that's a Baylor, that's a Baylor win, I think. Or, Baylor or, win, a Kansas State win, okay. a Kansas yeah. State win. No, no, just making sure. So and hold on, you're... we're moving fast. I got to okay. think about that. So I've got one, two, three, four, I have four and one. wins so far. Four and two. five wins. I have five wins. Five and two, five and three, five and four. I have them five and five heading into Kansas State and Texas Tech. Man. That is interesting. I do too. I do too. I think. Well, hold on, because I have them beating St- Texas State, Texas Southern, Kansas, West Virginia, and BYU. 
One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Who do you have? The, you have them beating State, Southern, Kansas, BYU. Do you have them West Virginia as well, or who do you have? Yeah. I, well, no. I, I what I did is I said I said one of three okay. Iowa State, gotcha, Oklahoma gotcha. State, West Virginia. Gotcha, gotcha. Probably okay. probably one of two Oklahoma State and West Virginia. One of those. Right. Right. So let's say they lose to Kansas State. That means you're five and six, and you need to beat Tech to go to a bowl. You're at home last the game. Butt bowl season. with everything on the line because I oh. guarantee we talked about this last week. That's bowl eligibility, right? Yeah. That's two five and six teams, yep. and that's Matt Wells' job on the line. I know that game is going to rule if it plays <laughs> out like this. Awesome! I can't wait to watch it. Uh, give me Tech, man. I think Wells kind of pulls it out. One I think for the they Gipper. finish five and seven. And and honestly, for Aranda, that's not terrible. If like no. you're one score against Texas, you're 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 decently close against Oklahoma, and you you know you get a feel good win against somebody you shouldn't. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Five and seven would be a good year for Baylor after last year. Five and seven, be competitive. Don't lose to Kansas. Well, it would be, well, it, it would be exactly the same as I this guess. year in terms of conference play. Yeah, that's true. Wait, how does that math work? Because we have them beating BYU, and we have them beating. That's that. It, they were two and seven last year. We just added three non-conference wins this year. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we have them beating Kansas, dude. I don't think they're going to lose five straight to end the season. Woof. Dude, uh, That's I mean, not happening. Then, That's then, absolutely not happening. You're right. Okay. Then they'll then they'll beat Tech and go six and six. Which I'm just reversing what I said last week, but. Uh, yeah, so, so so best case scenario, how many wins can you find on this schedule? Can you find more than eight? More than eight? No. I could probably find eight. I think you beat State, Southern, Kansas, BYU, West Virginia Tech. You beat Kansas State. And then Or you, you beat, beat one of TCU you beat one of TCU Texas and that's eight. You you beat Kansas State and one of TCU Texas. Yeah. And that's eight. I, I, I just can't see him doing more than eight. Me neither. I, no, I think that's the upper limit. They, they might, hell, they might win seven, but I, I think six is a fair, like, six is a success, straight up. Especially because I love playing the relative expectation game of, hey, where are you as a program and where should you be? What does Baylor yeah. want? Baylor wants to be 2018, 19, 2019, 19. competing nationally, um, you know, in, in the conversation for the New Year Six, um, top, top 20 ranking, you know, respected yeah. on one side of the ball for something. Um, and, and so, look, that's not going to happen overnight. A bowl this year with it bringing in a new quarterback is is a good vote of confidence for, hey, Aranda can figure this out. He knows what he's doing. And again, one of the greatest defensive minds in football. So if he can get the program running thing down, they, they get something humming for sure. Absolutely. Um, did you want to do the bit you had planned or not? When did we decide to be positive about – yeah, this is good because I was just about to say, when did we decide to be positive about all these teams at the bottom of the Big 12? I don't know. It makes The me gloves sick. are coming off next week. I don't care. I, I'm not, I, I, first off, nice. I want to make this clear. I am not positive about Kansas. I want to make that very clear. Well, we're like I, that's true. You were very negative. Um, I am. I am not positive about Kansas. Let me just also every person who has messaged me and said we loved your Kansas podcast, we loved your Kansas preview. That's great. That's great. Read and share our other stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you enjoyed please, that. But please, please do not make us advertise this podcast on the strength of Kansas football. We're gonna move forward. We're gonna move forward from Kansas. Okay, yeah. My bit was just I just liked this list of I just found some notable notable Baylor alumni. I think this is some good riff rap. You know, we're almost at an hour. This is a good way to end. So, um, of course, you know, you have a lot of people who are really interesting that went to Baylor. the The Wikipedia page for people who are associated with Baylor is very funny to me. Um, and these were these were listed kind of in in order of importance or funniness in my mind. So, 
the the first person I didn't know any of these um, at all. That's why I'm listing. So so this list, excuse me, is Baylor alumni. I did not know were Baylor alumni. That's okay. what this bit is called. Okay, Jeff Dunham, the ventriloquist. Really. The problematic Baylor. ventriloquist. Okay. According to Wikipedia, and I put zero effort into even clicking the Wikipedia sure. link, his name was highlighted. All I had to do, Grant, was click it one more time to find out. I didn't. I just trusted it. Um, Angela Kenzie, better known as Angela Martin uh-huh. on The Office. Well, okay. Um, better, that, that, better known that, as someone who... That's a plus. She's cool. I, would, I like Angela I Kenzie. would say that affiliation with The Office is a plus, but I will say that after the office, she never really did anything else. And she has been one of those people that's kind of been stuck on it. And I have liked her less as she's embraced more and more of, Oh, I was actually one of the main characters in the office. And it's like, no, everyone kind of left. Yeah. And then they had to tie it up and you were there. So I just, I don't, I don't like her very much. Third and, and perhaps funnier than those two, I should have split around Thomas Harris, who was the author of silence of the Lambs. Yes, really? He was a Look, oh man, you spend God. some time in Waco and some weird stuff happens in your brain, evidently. Have you read uh, any of those books? No, I uh, despise the horror genre. I hate being titillated. That's an okay. Angela Martin quote. Okay. Uh, I, Silence of the Lambs is one of my favorite movies. Red Dragon is a really scary book. Uh, I will put it that way. He, he wrapped up the series really weird and Hannibal. Um, like a just a stupid ending to it but red dragon the first book in the series outstanding literally i could not sleep after i read it great book yeah that's why i don't i don't i can't handle that at all i normally don't um, but he's fantastic advertise i understand why baylor doesn't advertise that he's a uh, an alum though it's kind of like we were in maine and we went to augusta and they're like home of stephen king everywhere and you were like do you do you sure. want to advertise that like <laughs> i don't want to be here anymore yeah this is scary. um Willie Nelson went to Baylor for two, sem- uh, you know, two semesters and then dropped out. Um, okay. Do you know who this person is? I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you two and ask if you know who this person is. Okay. Joe Jorgensen. Say it one more time. Joe Jorgensen. Yo Jorgensen. Oh, uh, yes. Joe was, was. Was she? Correct me if I'm wrong. Did she run for vice president? No, she was the Libertarian Party's nominee this year. This year. Okay. Okay. In 2020, I knew she was with yeah. the Libertarian Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think she technically ran for VP back in like '96 or something. But okay. no, she was, she was, she was the, the Libertarian Party. Okay. Interesting. I'm good. Okay. I have no idea who gave, that. That may very may very well be true. I, I honestly don't know. Um, okay, the last one. Uh, <laughs> famous Baylor alumni, Robert Jeffries. Oh, I do know who Robert Jeffries is. Yeah, I'm familiar with Mr. Jeffries' work. Uh huh. Uh, tell us about robert parker well he's just you know he's just a a guy who likes having a good time that's all i have to say about him um yes gosh uh okay so this has been this has been fun i i i don't really know i don't really know what you could say about baylor in 2021 other than they're gonna have a really good defense and that's kind of the hallmark of dave randa teams and they're gonna be facing a, a question similar to a lot of big 12 teams can our offense do enough on the back of our defense to, to kind of distinguish us from the middle pack. Again, teams six through nine in the big 12 are basically a crapshoot. 
some of there is overlap. Like again, I would say teams two through six are also a crapshoot. There's just there's just a lot of weirdness, and it's like who's going to distinguish each other in kind of this high and low class. I think by Baylor falls south of that line in 2021, but I do think that they they, they will take a step forward um, and, and put together a little bit more consistency on offense, which should be um, really really interesting again to have a, a new scheme and something different in the Big Twelve. For sure, uh, you know, there's an old soccer adage which is soccer is a really simple game you run around for 90 minutes and at the end of it the germans win um and the big 12 is kind of similar you, you you play nine games at the end of it oklahoma wins the conference championship but when there's no oklahoma and when there's no germans some really interesting things can happen and i think baylor's going to be one of those whoa, teams whoa 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 I'm not saying they're absolutely rid of the Germans. Germans in the Big 12. They're absolutely Germans in the Big 12. Shout out to Alexander Honig. Oh, from the excuse podcast. me. Yes, yes, yes. My bad. I meant I was talking about soccer. When, uh, but but when, when you turn your focus away from OU or the big names, whatever, Texas, okay, there's a lot of really like, neat schematic things, changing things that are happening and programs that can turn into you know national players coming up. And Baylor's going to be one of those programs this year. We could be seeing the foundation for a team that will challenge you know, Oklahoma the next one or two years. Um, we also could be seeing a complete dumpster fire. Who knows? But I think you're right. It's going to be entertaining either way. As long as they still lose to TCU, um, I, I'm, I'm curious to put them under a microscope and see what happens. Yeah, and we absolutely could forget about Jeff Grimes in three years and not think twice of this. Or we could say, you know what? Aranda had the defense. This was the offensive counterpunch that no one else in the Big 12 could put together. I truly believe that's that's that ceiling is there. Not in 2021, but no. long term. I have a lot of respect for Dave Aranda. So um, the general lack of villainy in, in Big 12 head coaches is, is greatly disconcerting. Disgusting. Think, uh, at least we have Mike Gundy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that guy's just going to keep taking more and more as everyone else gets generally more <laughs> likable. Um Okay, I think I think that's good, man. We hit an hour on the Baylor podcast. I was convinced Woo-hoo. I was going to go thirty-five minutes. So yes, um, here's our favorite segment of the week. Who the hell are we talking about next week? You know what? Let's shake it up. Let's do something weird. I was going to say, do you want to do Oklahoma State? We mentioned Gundy. Let's do Oklahoma State again. To just reinforce, we're not doing a power ranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's talk about Oklahoma State because uh, I, I think that's interesting contrast and paired with Baylor. I think yep. kind of in the same way that Texas Tech and Kansas, we were able to implicitly compare and contrast. I think looking at Oklahoma State will be a nice kind of change of pace. And I think, um, too, especially because Baylor's giving Aranda a leash, I, I would hope. And Gundy seems to be constantly on the seat of desperation at all times, um, especially after a disappointing 2020. So I think it's going to be a really interesting kind of compare contrast there. Yeah, that's that's great. And again, we're looking at, you know, teams now six through two and and who knows who's going to be who there. So that's great. This has been the Purple Theory podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. You can find me on Twitter at Stats of War. More importantly, you can sign up for our great newsletter um, and you can uh, read all sorts of pieces by me and and by Grant kind of previewing, analyzing, breaking, uh, poking into the Big 12 and seeing what's going on. So make sure you follow us there, uh, purpletheory.substack.com. Make sure you follow Grant on Twitter at Grant McGalliard. Spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Go frogs. Go frogs. <laughs>